Welcome to First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Sue Collar, and it's nice to be wo uh, worshiping with you today. Before we begin, please take a moment and fill out a connection card. If you're watching Sunday morning live at 10 a.m., you'll find a link to it just to the right of this video or perhaps underneath if you're on a cell phone. If you're watching any other time, you can head over to our church website, fpclincoln.org, and just click the Sunday Links tab and you'll find the connection card there. This is really great if you happen to be checking us out because if you fill that out, we can reach out to you and see what questions you may have about the church or what you're looking for and what you need. Either way, it's helpful for us to have some sense of who's gathered for worship. Today, our Christian Education Committee is leading worship, or better yet, we might call them the group of people who help us ask questions about our faith. So as we prepare to ask those questions, let's begin with a moment to center our hearts and minds on God. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way I, that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of calf and have worshipped and sacrificed it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff necks they are, and now let me alone so I, my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them and of you all make great nation but Moses implored implored the Lord his God and said O Lord why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out to the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand why should the Egyptians say it was evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth turn from your fierce wrath change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people remember abraham isaac and israel your servants how you swore to them by your own self saying to them i will multiply your descendants like stars of heaven and all this land i have promised i will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Luke chapter 15, 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And all the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them his parable, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors and saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
or what one or what woman having ten silver coins if she loses one of them does not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she has found it she calls together her friends and neighbors saying rejoice with me for i have found my lost coin just so i tell you there is joy in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents this morning we kick off a new christian education year in the life of First Presbyterian Church. After a summer-long break from formal Sunday morning classes and Sunday evening youth group, we start back up today. It's also kind of the unofficial back-to-church Sunday. We've settled back into family routines. We've wrapped up summer travel plans, and school has begun for our children and youth. We come to church to worship, to do our part and the grand design of knowing who God is and knowing all that God has done for us. We attend Sunday school classes to learn more about the Bible and what it means. Our lives are full of learning. We learn something new every day, whether it's a new concept at work and how to do our job like a, a sales tactic or or like in my case, just the other day, I learned the name of an obscure alien species in the background of the cantina scene in the Star Wars movie. I saw it on a TikTok video. We learn all the time, and we never stop learning, even if it's useless trivia. But did you ever stop to think about how you learn, the actual process of how you learn? There are three main ways of learning theory identified by human developmental theorists. B.F. Skinner identified what is now called consequential learning. The consequences of our actions dictate our behaviors. Think of positive and negative reinforcement. Good consequences encourage a repeat of that behavior. Bad consequences discourage that behavior. I got rewarded for good grades in school and I got in trouble for bad grades. Then there's what we call associative learning. We associate one thing with another thing, and it produces a response. The classic example is Pavlov's dog, in which the dog learned to associate a ringing bell with food. Every time the dog heard a bell, it would salivate, knowing that it would receive food. For me, that's the smell of bacon. And then there is Albert Bandura's social learning theory, in which the learner observes what they want to learn, remembers the action, then tries to replicate that action. This is the way I learned how to play golf. I was shown the actions, I tried to remember what I was shown, and then I practiced it over and over until I got better at it. Each of these ways of learning has its place and function in our lives, and it goes throughout our lives as we use them in our lifelong learning. But this is also the learning of information or of actions. The actual physiological process of learning is the way in which our brains code all the information that we take in. It involves synapses, neurons, processes, thingamajigs, just stuff that happens in our brains. 
but every brain is wired differently, which is why some people are better at recalling facts. Some can hear a song and immediately play it on the piano. Some can do crazy math in the blink of an eye. But again, this, is all, this all learning is pretty much about information and how we process it, retain it, and recall it. What about how it changes us or moves us? Or to use a more theological context, how does it transform us? How does it make us something different? It is within this question that the deep and deeper understanding of Christian education was born and has been growing in church education circles for some time. It's the idea of formation, particularly faith formation, and how we go from education, the learning of information, to formation, how that information becomes part of who we are, not just what we know. It seeks to develop what we learn into a way it informs our life, our beliefs, our faith, and how it can transform it through worship, study, and discipleship. One of the first books I had to read as a doctoral student was by Walter Brueggemann, then professor of Old Testament studies at Columbia Theological Seminary and one of the world's foremost Old Testament scholars. The book was called The Creative Word, and within it, Brueggemann identifies a model of biblical education that is the story of the Israelites. Now, nothing within this model is about knowing biblical facts, like who Abraham and Sarah was, or how many psalms did David write, or even the differences and similarities between the Gospels. Now, it's about seeing how the story of the Israelites demonstrates how they learned and were transformed into the people of God. God had declared them to be God's people. But their story is about how they grew into that calling. It's a good model for us. For God's claim on us as children of God happens long before we can do anything about it. Our life is our story of how we are transformed and live into the God claimed identity. The model that Brueggemann writes about is the process that he calls disclosure, disruption, and discernment. He demonstrates how this is the model in which Israelites learn, develop, and transform from a people into the people of God. He argues that this process moves us from one place in our learning and faith to another. The process begins with where we are at, disclosure. God's call and covenant has been disclosed and they have learned or have been oriented to this particular way or idea. It's the way in which they are, we are oriented in our life. It's what we know. It's what we believe. It's how we live. Then comes disruption. And that orientation, whether that be in the inbreaking of God or a challenge to this way of thinking, our orientation is disrupted and we are forced to reevaluate. We are forced to discern what this disruption means. Then in discernment, we become reoriented to a new way of thinking, believing, living.
we become transformed. Brueggemann sees this in the covenant of God and God's people. God disrupts this through the prophets when people start living outside of the covenant. Discernment follows after the people face the consequences of their actions, leading them to a new reorientation of what it means to be the people of God. Our scripture passages today are many examples of this orientation, disorientation, reorientation. The Israelites were oriented in Moses as their leader. When he was no longer there or perceived as no longer there, their orientation was disrupted, and he took matters into their own hands, which led to further disruption. But it also leads to receiving the commandments, they, which then turn help discern what it means to be the people of God and help them discern and reorient their lives in a new way through the covenant of the law and the commandments. In the stories of the lost coin and the lost sheep, we see Jesus telling a parable that somewhat demonstrates this concept as well. It probably seems odd to the hearer that someone would spend that much time and risk losing more sheep to just find one sheep? Or why would someone waste energy looking for a single coin when they have nine more? Who among us has dropped a penny, a nickel, a quarter, and thought, eh, it's not worth the effort. It's just a coin. The parables disrupt this orientation by showing the value of even a single coin or a sheep. This challenges us to reorient our thinking to realize that all are important, that all matter, that nothing or no one is inconsequential or should be labeled unimportant. We do the same process in our prayer of confession each Sunday morning. We come to God in our worship having been oriented to the world in which we live, a world that is often counter to the world God intends. In our confession, Light is shined on our sins, our world-oriented view, and God's word, love and mercy, disrupts us from that way of thinking, and it challenges us to see how we have fallen short, and then through our discernment, reworks us or molds us into something new. Our worship as a whole is a model for this, and that we come to worship, we hear the word of God, we discern and leave with a new orientation. This is a process of education to formation. This is how we grow in faith and become transformed in our faith day by day, month by month, year by year, all led by the inbreaking of God's word, love, and mercy into our lives. God takes what we know what we are, and disrupts us from our comfort by challenging in new ways to live what we know. And through it all, we discern and discover a fuller way of living our faith through new experiences and new encounters. This is the movement of Christian education to faith formation. It's what we hope to provide here at First Presbyterian Church through the lifelong process of Christian education and faith formation. We begin with disclosing the word of God through learning the stories of the Bible and God's people 
it's the foundation of our faith. But when we continually come back to those stories in new ways, as we grow older and learn in different ways, we see different aspects of the same story through study, worship, and life experience. When we provide a place to be curious, to raise questions, to hear the inbreaking word of God, we have a safe space to be challenged, to think and reflect deeper, and even owning our doubts. And that disrupts what we think we know. When we have the opportunities to discern God's inbreaking word and be transformed to a deeper and richer faith, we open the doors for the Holy Spirit and transformation to occur. And then we do it all over again. For we will never know it all or have all the information or make all the right choices. In faith, there is always more. There's always something that will disrupt us and force us to rethink what we know. And thanks to God and God's steadfast love and everlasting covenant, we will always be able to come to a new understanding and a deeper faith. Moving from education to formation is a part of life. It's a part of faith. It's what it means to grow in faith and discipleship. It can happen in formal settings like a Sunday school class or in youth group. It can happen in informal settings like a book club or just conversations with the community of faith. It can happen whenever and wherever we engage with God, the one source of our faith and the one who provides the growth. We are not meant to be stagnant, to rest on our faith laurels. We are meant to have those laurels disrupted and challenged so that we may be transformed into something new and grow closer to the fullness of life that we have in Christ. This is our call as a people of God to always be moving in our faith. For there is always something new to be learned. And thanks be to God, we can. In God's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can access all of our previous episodes on Anchor or your favorite source for podcasts. Find out more about us at fpclincoln.org or join us on Facebook.